two, and our guest has arrived. We are very pleased to have in the studio the city manager of Mankato. Her name is Susan Arns. Hello, good morning, Susan. Well, we are pleased to have you in the studio, and there's a lot of things going on in the city of Mankato, as we know. Yes. Including redistricting. Let's talk about what is redistricting, why are we doing it, what does it mean? Yeah, so every 10 years, when following the census, uh, municipalities, counties, states, the federal government is required to kind of take another look at population. And the real piece of why we what redistricting is is it's rebalancing the districts in uh, the polling or the voting locations uh, to try and rebalance population sure and um, you know there are lots of terms that come up during redistricting if you remember in your social studies days in high school you'll hear term (laughs) for all of us yes Um, you know things like gerrymandering or you know, which, you know, essentially is kind of trying to redraw boundaries to benefit one side or another for one purpose or another. Um, You know, those kinds of things do come up. Uh, And in Mankato's case, um, what happens with redistricting is once the census releases its population, usually uh, about a year to two years before the uh, the the state the federal government and then the state government have an opportunity to kind of relook at their uh, house and senate boundaries. So we wait for the state to do that work, and then once they've done that work, then we shift to um, we get that data, we get their boundary lines, and then we start looking at our own wards here in Mankato. Um, we work very hard to make sure that we don't gerrymander. Uh, we literally just start by looking at just population. And um, all of our population is broken up into different census tracts. So it's kind of like putting a puzzle together that each puzzle piece has a different value assigned to it. And the goal is to assemble a, you know, each little section into as similar populations as possible. And so we do that every 10 years. And, um, and then we have to do it before if this spring's election. So we have a deadline of March 29th when we have to complete our work. We got our data from the state on February 15th. And so uh, this last um, Monday, our city council had a conversation to review three uh, different maps that were submitted by various citizen groups, and then two that our staff had assembled that kind of show you know, potential options. As a result of the discussion on Monday, We've kind of narrowed in on a draft. Um, And so either today, I would assume today, we're going to have that draft published to our website as just a draft um, for people to review and comment on. Our hope is that we will on uh, November 7th, or I'm sorry, March 7th, we'll have a conversation with the city council again to kind of summarize the, um, the feedback we've received to date. And then we would have it on the city council agenda for consideration on March 14th. And again, we'd bring any of the feedback we've received so the council can consider that again. How has the population shifted? So what what are some of the possible changes? Yeah, so we've seen a lot more growth on the, I'll call it generally the east side of the eastern southern side of the community. And uh, so with that, you know, we need to adjust those ward boundaries, um, uh, in some cases significantly, on, you know, the, the space, for example, where uh, the studio is here, 
Uh, there are census tracts that are just very populous. So like your puzzle pieces. Hilltop area. Yeah, the hilltop area. There are some puzzle pieces that will have a value of like 500 or 1,000. And those are puzzle pieces that are harder to Fit move in. around. <laughs> okay. Or, you know, so it so it makes the the polygon look smaller, but from a population perspective, it has a similar population. And uh, so we work to do that and try and get all of the different wards within 5% plus or minus of each other. And then we also take a look at what do we anticipate forward to try and minimize change for the public in the future as well. So if we know that we're going to see more continued growth on the east and the northeast side of the community, those would be areas that we can um, you know, consider maybe having uh, more of a buffer, you know, not more than 5%, but, you know, maybe that 1% or 2% so that as we see growth there over the next 10 years, it makes fewer changes for the public in that area. I know the city of Mankato has a bunch of major projects planned. I'm wondering how that's going to impact it because I was looking at your newsletter. It talked about the Mankato's community investment plan, um, talking about certain anticipated projects, a multi-year plan, uh, from everything from the water resource recovery facility to Alexander Park, Turtle Lot Park, the athletic fields, and some other things. Uh, are those going to have any impact on what you're talking about in terms of population changes, growth, uh, redistricting? Yeah, generally redistricting shouldn't affect those because in the end, even though we have council members that represent wards or locations in the mm-hmm. community, they still represent the community as a whole, right? Sure. So, you know, the good news is that we still have seven, each each person that resides in Mankato still has seven people that are expected to kind of represent their best interests. And so those projects shouldn't be affected by redistricting. Um, you know, there, it, with the changes that we're looking at, there shouldn't be any more or less um, of those projects moving forward or not moving forward. There certainly isn't any more or less support for any one of them either. So, And another thing I know you just this week, you had a group of individuals talk with the city council about having the city of Mankato join the city's climate caucus. And there's been a number of meetings where folks have, have spoken up about that and joining that effort. And I know there some are disappointed saying, well, why wouldn't the city of Mankato join that climate caucus organization. So where's that at? Yeah, so in um, at the end of uh, January, beginning of February, I had a work session with the city council where we discussed that we had been asked by some of our partner cities around the state to consider participating in the city's climate caucus. And essentially the the coalition of cities that are uh, calling themselves the city's climate caucus, they are assembling themselves to declare climate as a state of emergency and for the purposes of putting uh, essentially pressure on the state and federal partners to provide resources for communities to try and address issues in their communities related to climate. Uh, we, uh, we've had, we had a good conversation with the city council. They asked for us to go back and take a look at the actual language that was in, I'll call it the sample um, resolution. Several of the cities that have joined that coalition have modified that resolution uh, for themselves. A couple of the cities have removed the the words "state of emergency" related to climate um, and have you know customized that um, that language. And you know, so kind of we're having that I'll say internal debate about 
if we're going to customize the language, are we really joining their the effort, the sure. caucus? And so we're having a little bit of that conversation. Um, on March 7th, we're going to have uh, a review of the, for the council of the actual language that we would recommend they consider. Uh, and in that, what the council had asked is that in addition to talking about joining the effort of, you know, kind of demanding or urging financial support or resources from the state and federal government for, for efforts related to climate, we, the council also wants to kind of highlight or discuss in that things that have been done or business practices that we've modified or changed uh, related to climate, and not just because it's good for the climate, but also because it's good for just it's good business practices. And, uh, you know, so we will be working on a draft of that resolution for them to review next Monday. And then following that, um, in the future, we'll have another conversation with some of our key staff members uh, we have a staff member at the city, who Rick Baird, who does incredible amounts of work on uh, the environment, sustainability for our um, community and also for our organization. And unfortunately, he's on vacation. Okay. So, um, you know, a very important and needed vacation. And we want to be able to give Rick that time and not... Um, we'll have him on the show another time. Because it'd be great to chat with him about that. Yeah. But I was just curious. So if you're saying you're joining the Climate Caucus... Is it just a matter of we're saying, is it just a statement or is there actually any teeth into it that you're going to do something? I guess that's the, the thing I'm wondering right. about. I mean, it's easy to say, well, I'll, so of course we're, we support this because why wouldn't you? Well, that's the purpose of the discussion with the council okay. is what is that resolution really asking? In some of the cities, they've um, the, the draft resolution says that the communities agree to f uh, complete a climate action plan. Um, some of the cities have removed that task. Uh, from their efforts. And I don't know that uh, the council through this resolution um, is really looking to kind of declare all of our future endeavors. I think that we want to include, you know, the work that we're doing presently and then continue to have conversations as we look at our strategic plan because we're curr currently, we're other than the routine things that we're doing now that do have impacts on climate and are very important to our organization, uh, like the wastewater recovery f resource and or, sorry the water resource and recovery facility, you know it's th it's probably the biggest recycler in town, sure. Um, and it's recycling water, right? And um, it, you know, so we we have a lot of things that we're doing on a routine basis, but to adopt and take on new measures of any kind of importance and significance, we have to realign our uh, resources and our staff. To, to do that work. So at the moment, I'm not sure I can commit that this is what we're going to do. You know, we have been and will continue to look at the viability of electronic vehicles. We have been, we have an internal group of staff that have been exploring that over the last year. Uh, you know, so those are things that we'll continue to, you know, keep an eye on and, and take, take looks at um, and f continue to study for sure. All right. Another thing I'd like to bring up is just an update on the $30 million bonding requests for the $65 million project at the Water Resource and Recovery Facility. So that's a bonding request. Yes. So, so what's happening with that? Yeah, so we had originally about a $44.6 million project estimate for the Water Resource and Recovery Facility, essentially the, the WERF or uh, our wastewater plant. Um, and we provide services, you know, to about 65,000 people, so six communities in addition to the city of Mankato. And uh, that 
the facility, the, the main work at that facility, which is the digesters, which are the pieces of equipment that take all the wastewater that comes to the facility and essentially digests it into solids and liquids and we do different things with it. We clean it, we recycle the discharge water. Um, You know, at at one point my predecessor had said that the water that comes out of that plant and goes into the river is clean enough to drink. Um, I don't know that I would advocate that that be anyone's (laughs) primary source of, (laughs) um, of hydration. But I wouldn't be opposed to drinking it if that was, okay. of, you know, if that was necessary, um, because our team does do a pretty spectacular job of uh, working it through. All that said, that equipment is about 66 years old, Ooh. and it's equipment that generally has about a 50 to 60 year useful life. We're starting to see some structural failures on those digesters. Uh, they are beyond their, again, beyond their useful life. We're having a hard time uh, continuing to find repair parts. Um, we literally have duct tape at the plant holding some pipes together and some insulation around some pipes to prevent, um, you know, sweating of certain pipes. Um, it, you know, it does not meet ADA compliance. Uh, there's just, there's a number of things that, you know, the plant that was built in 1956 just really doesn't meet the 2022 standards that we're expected to operate under. And so we're at a point now where we need to do some improvements. In January, we opened bids on this project, and we were the first major project in Minnesota to open bids. And uh, we it caught our breath um, when we opened the bids for our $44.6 million project and found it was really now a $65 million project. Is that just the cost of, of doing business that's happened to a lot of in construction and all those sorts of things? It is. We were hoping that we could go back and look at the bids and find one or two major pieces of the project that were driving the costs yeah. um, higher and we could go, is there a different way to do that part? Um, and But unfortunately, it's across the entire project. And so we're having a lot of conversation now about, you know, what do we do? Um, The first thing that we did is we reached out to the Public Facilities Authority and talked to them about modifying the loan that they had granted us to make sure that if we had to move forward on this project, do we have the ability to finance it through the Public Facilities Authority? Uh, I believe that we do. Um, The other thing we had started last summer as part of the state of Minnesota's capital bonding process is we had made a $20 million bonding request for our $44 million project. We can request up to 50% of a project, so we had already expended some funds, so we had about 40 left of construction costs, hence the $20 million. Um, With the new bid, we did reach out to our local um, House member and our Senate member to ask them if we could um, modify the cost of our request. And after some discussion, we were able to modify that bill. So we do have a bill in both the House and the Senate presently uh, that are being reviewed for this regional facility. Next week, we have been asked to participate in a hearing um, for the House Capital Investment Committee and uh, at their request. So that feels very positive that there's some interest in um, continuing to uh, exploring and uh, review this process, this facility, this project. I think the biggest thing that has caught the attention of many is not just the the major regional factor that this facility provides, but there's another community south and west of us, Lake Crystal, that has been reviewing their own wastewater future, and they're exploring: do we fix our plant or do we explore connecting to Mankato? Oh. 
And if they are able to connect to Mankato, it eliminates a future 20 to $30 million project that that community would have. So, you know, if you kind of just do some simple math, you know, an investment in Mankato uh, for now 68 million people um, might be better served than a $20 million investment for 2,500 or 3,000 people. So we're, we're having kind of that conversation about without the expansion to our facility, we wouldn't be able to assist Lake Crystal. And does it make sense to put another plant out in Lake Crystal at this time? Would they be a part of our city limits then? or They would not be part of our city limits, but we'd have a, a contract with them to provide that oh. wastewater service, similar to we have with Eagle Lake, North Mankato, Madison Lake, oh, sure. and some others. So. so where are we on the priority list? Do you know with the legislature? You know how they say the bonding issues yeah. that somebody's on top 10 or wherever on the list? Yeah, I don't know that they've come out with that from the House and the Senate yet. In the, uh, there were no local water or wastewater projects in the governor's uh, budget proposal or the budget, the governor's capital um, proposal. Uh, And so um, we still have, you know, work to do to get included. Um, It certainly is a good sign that we're being asked to participate in some hearings and to continue the discussion about our um, project. So we're working very hard this month on uh, talking with folks, answering questions, uh, engaging where we can uh, to make sure that we talk about, you know, how this project not only is a major recycler, I mean, it's more than just wastewater. You know, this facility, uh, we use the methane that's produced to heat the plant. We use the uh, biosolids that are created as kind of a one of the major um, end products of the facility, we use them to put almost 300 acres, across 300 acres of agricultural land to help with um, soybean and corn farmers in our region. Uh, We provide water to a local power plant for the cooling of their manufacturing system. And so we're, you know, this plant is more than just wastewater process. We have uh, five or six communities way out west that we provide phosphorus trading with. So because the amount of phosphorus we're able to remove from our plant before we discharge into the Minnesota River is 75% above uh, some of the state standards, we're allowed to use part of that to help some of these communities, Walnut Grove, Granite City, uh, and some of those communities way out west to help them meet their phosphorus standards. Because without making a major capital improvement to their facility to remove the level of phosphorus they would need, we're able to do it here more cost effectively and then trade the credit, the positive credit we have for their needs as well. What do they do with all that phosphorus? Do you know? Yeah, so the phosphorus goes into that biosolids piece. That's a big part of it. And, you know, that helps with the nutrients that goes then out to the agricultural areas. We're just about out of time. We are talking with the city of Mankato's Manager Susan Arntz, what is one of the most pressing issues that you have right now in the city of Mankato? This water resource recovery. Okay, that's the big... (laughs) That that has consumed a great deal of time. Okay. Um, We're also keeping a very strong eye on, you know, how we get through spring with, um, you know, we certainly don't anticipate major flooding. No, it's not enough snow cover. Not enough snow cover. But we are hoping and monitoring kind of from a drought, future drought perspective of what's that recovery look like. We know it's going to take a number of time or a number of years, but um, we are certainly keeping an eye on that as well. 
All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming in and chatting with us about this. We'll have you back again to chat about more things that are always going on, I know. Thank you so much, Susan. We appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Yes, you too.